what I love about tarot, especially if you're first starting out, someone's first starting out with a deck, is you have to learn to walk before you can fly your broomstick. This is Your Magic, a Spotify original from Parcast Studios and Your Magic Media. I'm Michelle T. And today I'm talking to Rachel True. She created the True Heart Intuitive Tarot, but many of you also know her as the actress who played Rochelle in the iconic teen witch thriller, The Craft. After that, we're going to visit with Your Magic producer, Molly Elizalde, who set off to find a treasure trove of newfangled tarot decks at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And finally, I'm going to share a spell to help you bond with your tarot deck, and it will not involve sleeping with it under your pillow because you deserve a good night's sleep. Stay with us. So I want to talk about the tarot deck I use when I'm reading cards for other people. The Toth Tarot was conceptualized by Aleister Crowley, the 19th century British occultist who was deemed the wickedest man in the world by the Daily Express. This was after an English gentleman died mysteriously during one of his rituals. They'd all been drinking cat blood. Nobody likes that. It's hard to give a brief primer on Crowley because his life was wild. He was a Victorian-era trust fund baby, but he died penniless. He lived most of his life with the funds to travel the world, either culturally appropriating or, I don't know, respectfully studying various global mystical traditions. This information was filtered through his privileged and problematic worldview. He held racist and misogynistic beliefs, and it was filtered through his drug-addled mind as well. Crowley was what in recovery slang we call a garbage can, just happy to get high on whatever is available. And in his case, that was mostly cocaine, opium, hash, and heroin. He wrote prolifically, though, and he practiced magic intensely, including sex magic. He had lots of affairs with both men and women, and he ultimately created his own religion, Thelema, which is still practiced today. Crowley's original vision for the Toth deck was reportedly pretty basic, but under the influence of the deck's artist, Lady Frida Harris, he was pushed to conceptualize a tarot that brought in his understanding of the Kabbalah, of ancient Egyptian deities, Asian mystical traditions, and his own personal occult investigations. Crowley and Harris worked so hard on this deck, with Harris sometimes having to create up to eight iterations of a card before they were satisfied. They jam-packed it with so much symbolism. But to me as a reader, the numerical Kabbalah associations plus the astrological affiliations they gave to each card are what really makes it an amazing deep tool for divination and intuitive investigation. The Toth Tarot was published in 1969. Neither Crowley nor Harris lived to see the day. And alongside the Rider Waite Smith deck, it's been the top selling tarot deck in the world. Is it weird to do such intense, personal, often feminist work with a deck created by a guy who was in large part a creep? It probably is. But my feminist perspective is at this point skilled in accommodating the work of problematic dudes. Dudes who, in spite of their profound intellectual limitation, did manage to create work that means something. Rather than allowing my feminism to be something that limits me, I just bring that critique out into the world with all of its problems. So yes, I will read your tarot with a deck of Toth cards, but I will also be sure to call out its creator as a creep when appropriate. Now, let's go hang out with Rachel True. Hi, Rachel True. It's incredibly lovely and exciting to be talking to you. Thank you for joining me on your magic. 
Uh, I want to say thank you so much for inviting me on. I love that you were already witchy when you filmed The Craft. And I'm wondering, like, how old were you when you discovered that part of yourself? Well, I think I was a really little baby, actually, when I first started to my personal feeling is everybody's born with a little bit of awareness. But when I was, um, I'm going to say I was four to five and um, I'd been living in foster care and then went to live with my dad and my stepmom. And they had what I called the library, which was, in fact, just a bookcase. And the two bo- <laughs> and the two books that I would pull down were um, Young, Carl Young's Man and His Symbols and Nietzsche's Beyond Good and Evil. <laughs> Light reading for a four to five year old. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. At that age, we could read. We were taught to read mm-hmm. very young. But granted, I wasn't reading the big words. I was clearly probably catching a word here and there, but more looking at the images that was on the cover. And man and his symbols has a lot of you know black and white pictures in it. And so cut to a few years later when a friend of my parents is over and they pull out a tarot deck. And I'm like, oh, God. Wait, I know this. I recognize this. It was like a language. I went, wait, this is like that other thing I used to pull out of the library. And it's a language I can learn to speak. I love, you know, hearing you talk about this, like, it's like, okay, like, you saw those images, and you recognize them, right? So there's this like, sort of like basic, you know, brainy intelligence. But I feel like there's something going on. It's really talking about your mind and having the mind of a tarot reader or maybe even a mind that's sort of I mean I don't know if you uh, write poetry but it makes me think of the mind of a poet where you were able to actually make these larger leaps like it might not have been so evident do you think because to me to you you're like this is <laughs> to me is very I'm, evident yeah but to you too I'm sure for you too it would be screaming at you it was literally like look at me I am saying something also Because I, maybe again, growing up like a Jewish intellectual dad, right? We had all these sort of interesting esoteric books around and discourse around things that maybe just didn't happen in every household, as well as I grew up when I was a small kid in New York City, and there's so much energy, right? Oh, yeah. So very much energy coming at you. Unlike California, where all the energy is coming from the volatile earth. So I I knew as a little child, I felt very overwhelmed or I felt that energy intensely. And I remember being mortified that I would laugh. I would hysterically laugh every time I saw little babies when I was around that age. And I was embarrassed by it because I didn't understand why I would just hysterically laugh. And now I get that that was just the energy connection. I was picking up on their joy. The joy of a baby who's not smashed down by life yet. (laughs) Yeah. It's I'm just imagining like tiny you in New York and New York is an overwhelming city to any adult who isn't particularly psychic. You know, it's just a lot like what did little tiny, you know, esoterically sensitive you do to help yourself with that overwhelming energy that you were sensitive to? Honestly, as a small child, I was just overwhelmed a lot. You know, because I think it's a skill set we develop. A lot of young empaths hit me up in my DMs, right? And they're like, I'm an empath, which will be the whole sentence. And then I'm like, and? (laughs) (laughs) But then the rest of the sentence sometimes will be, I'm an empath. And there's so much stuff coming. People come at me so much. What do I do? And I'm really big. And maybe this is because I'm like an old Gen X battle axe. But I'm like, let's frame (laughs) it. No, but seriously, because I'm like, let's frame it differently. You're not a victim. You are gifted. 
with this. And everyone has this extra sense is my particular take. Although I argue, I think Faruza Balk and I got in an argument. She's like, not everyone is magical, Rachel. And I was like, no, but I think they are. It's just really buried. And um, I and agree I, with you. Yeah, I think it's really buried in most people. Or as a friend of mine said, they're like, okay, fine, Rachel. Everyone's psychic. But like some people are at the Super Bowl and some people are in the Pee Wee Leagues. Yeah, totally. Like some people, sure, you're you're you have psychic potential, but like you're just never gonna uncover it in this lifetime. Or or you have no interest. Exactly. Well, usually, right? Yeah, that's because you have no interest. Yeah, I like to say, listen, they're not gonna stop. So it is your responsibility or my responsibility when I'm in a supermarket, if I feel overwhelmed by the energy, that I need a protection. And I mm. do something as silly as um you know, I picture myself in a medieval suit of armor I yes. in the supermarket. <laughs> and then when like the stuff really comes at me, that visor goes gadonk down. Yes. And that's my way. But my thing was for everyone out there who's framing stuff as this is happening to me. I'm a bit of a victim in it. I'm like, let's just turn it around. You are gifted. And how can you protect yourself? Because that's more active to me and you can do something about it. Do you feel like magic and witchcraft and spirituality can help with these sorts of communication issues that everybody has? Oh, definitely. What I love about tarot, especially if you're first starting out, someone's first starting out with a deck, is you have to learn to walk before you can fly your broomstick. But it's really great if you just start to understand the concept of the cards mm -hmm. and what they are. So I, I use them very much as a shrink in a box, like I say, to help ferret out what is this issue go, oh, me and my friend are having some friction. What's the mm -hmm. root consciousness of it? What's going on here? And more importantly, what's my part? My dynamic with the cards is always changing. You know, mm. my understanding of the cards. Now, when I get the high priestess, I'm like, of course. When I was 22 and got the high priestess with the, you know, the traditional Rider Waite deck, and she's so white mm -hmm. and buttoned up, and I just thought, who is this school marm? I didn't <laughs> understand the depths. You know, yeah. I mean, I really didn't. I'd read some books and Mary Kay Greer and 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 all the books mm -hmm. around them, but. I did not have a relationship with the cards the way that I do now. And even though I've written a book on it, I will always be a student of tarot. I will always be studying and the dynamic will always change because now I love the high priestess because now I'm like, you don't know what she has on under that robe, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like all you know is the austere outside. So I'm saying if you learn the cards and you learn a spread, then you're given so very much more information to, to bounce off. I have a spread of my own in the book where one of the positions is, is this thing I want in alignment with my higher self? Because I don't know about you, Michelle. Ooh, that is such an important question that never gets right? asked in my world. Yeah, totally. So totally. many things, people, places, things, donuts I have desired that were not <laughs> that were not good for me in any way, shape, or form. Definitely. When I first started, and you too, I bet, there was a lot of reverence with starting an esoteric practice. You had to do a lot of work. You had to go to the bookstore. You had to find the person you connected with. Uh, you had to get rid of the books you didn't. You had to try things. And now it's a little um, instant, Lipton's instant soup, cup of soup. I mean, I, I, I think there's a lot about that that's really good because I do believe that there, that, you know, these practices 
um, are so self-defined anyway to a certain extent, you know, and so people feeling empowered to kind of like create their own spiritual practice, I think is really cool. There is no, I agree with that. There's no right or wrong way. And that's why I actually go out of my way to say interpretations in my book, because there are definitions. There's many schools of thought on all of these things. Yeah. It's probably unfortunate that there was so much sort of weird, I guess, like uh, gate gatekeeping around mysticism where you had to feel like you had to prove yourself. It's probably better, better that it's not like that. But I kind of enjoyed it. Like I liked feeling like I was like, and you know, and this might be because I'm a trashy New England Gen X battle axe. But like I liked just the same way where I'm like, oh, we couldn't Google you know, anything like we had to find weird shit on our own, like, and then have people throw bricks at our heads. <laughs> we're, we're looking funny. Listen, that's a, you have such a good point because I do actually try. I'm like, wait a second. You're at that dangerous. Get off my lawn age, Rachel. So you need to <laughs> yeah. be like what you just said is beautiful because it's bringing people into an esoteric practice. And for me personally, I, I like that my face is out there associated with it now because there's so many black and brown people who have been told it's out of alignment with whatever their religion yes. is, Christ consciousness or Judaism or whatever, which is insane. It's not. It's, yeah. it's so beautiful in right. tandem with. I say it's a great way to clear away the noise and the anxiety and the subterfuge so you can yes. actually hear your higher self is what yeah. I call it. But if you're super religious or not even super religious, but if you call it God, then it's a way to hear if God is everywhere and God is inside you, it's a way to hear God clearer. Listen, I want to pick cards for you. Okay, Do you want me to read your yeah. cards? Yeah. Do you, is there anything, um, in, and it's an honor, may I say, uh, is there anything? I would, I'm going to say this. All right. I have, I think what's been on my mind lately has been, um, my last relationship and what will my next one, like love life stuff, I guess. Less, I've learned a lot of lessons from my last one. So I guess around love, okay. because I write about this in the book that, that's a one thing. I haven't really manifested the way that I, I would want okay. in this life. I've always been so career focused or maybe I even talk about it. I think I had a broken heart and I in the 90s and I remember saying, that's it. I am never feeling this way again. Uh, I am putting all my focus on work. I will never. You know? Yeah, I relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> let's just let's just see what's in your love yeah, yeah. sphere. Right? Well, you know what? Let's it's all going to be work cards now because <laughs> I asked well, about listen. love. No, well, you know, we're going to interpret them as love. So even if you get work cards, it means that you are, I'm gonna, I would interpret that as you are working towards exactly. love. <laughs> I'm going to shuffle right now, uh, thinking about specifically right. the lessons that you're bringing with you from this last relationship. So let's see. Okay, so I'm picking three for that. And now, what does the sphere look like that you're moving into? What does the little pink brick road of love that you're skipping down where <laughs> where's the what little cul-de-sac are you skipping into what does this look like what's the vibe all right let's see what are these what are you bringing with you from this last relationship wow this relationship is over <laughs> This relationship is definitely over. What did you pull? I'm dying to know because I actually, while you were doing it, I pulled three cards too, just to say. Did you? Okay. Yeah. I pulled but I'm not, I won't even tell you. I'm curious what you got. Okay. Uh, Queen of Swords came up yep. first. Okay. 
followed by the Emperor, <laughs> and then followed by a card particular to the Toth deck, the Aeon, which is the Judgment card. Right. Which is yeah. about leaving your past behind. It's it's like this is this card is this question. It's like you're leaving your past behind. Take a look behind you. What it, what would you have done differently? What will you do differently in the future? How did you use your resources? Did you make the can you stand by the choices? It's a reckoning so that you can then with almost like a clean slate move into your future even though your future might be uncertain. You might be this little little ghost baby chewing your finger saying, "How am I I don't know what what, what am I going to do?" <laughs> it's okay. You'll you're going to figure it out. It's promised in the card. Right? I do feel like a ghost baby. By Did the you way. end it? Did you end this relationship? You know what? Um, in, in, originally, no, but I made a decision mentally to not hold on to it anymore. So I, I made, so yes, I didn't end the dynamic with him, but I ended it with myself, if that makes any sense. I made it makes perfect sense and it makes the best sense because that's ultimately what's most important. And that's what she's doing, the Queen of Swords. She's sitting up, uh, you know, on her cloud. I love that she's in a cloud thrown in this deck because um, it's about having detachment and distance and be a being able to look at your situation almost dispassionately, intellectually, so that you can make a good decision and not be so overrun with emotion and this and that, but be be up there looking down and being, okay, you know something? Not going to do that. Not going to do that. That person's sure. gone. That, that pattern is gone. No, I love that card for the first card because um, I'm, again, a water sign and my emotions tend to be all over the place. So when mm. I move into that energy, it is yes. usually... I've swum through the depths and gotten to some logical place. Totally. And then like the centerpiece, right, is this emperor card. And it's just like, I love this. It's just like you are like taking full responsibility for your own life and your purpose and your energy, packing it up and moving on. It's like you are the king of your castle. It's almost like it's business, even though it's not. But it's like seeing it for what it is, not letting it hamper you, knowing that you have this like like road to keep marching down. I like bossing. that interpretation because it's bossing up because I know a lot yeah. of people, especially some women can have negative um, interpretations of the emperor, which I get that. Right. But I also think there's that other side of just taking control of her own destiny. Yeah. So this looks great. It looks like, yeah, lesson learned, action taken, ready for the future, you know, and now what is this future energy um, coming up for love? It is, it looks a little hesitant and trepidatious. <laughs> Do tell. Do tell. We get another queen leading leading the trio. It's the queen of disc, which is Capricorn, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's like she has already been through it and she knows about it, right? So there's a certain knowingness. And it's like, this is really interesting. It's like, what do you do when you've been through relationships and you know how like your illusions about romance maybe have been <laughs> trashed through experience and yet you're still a romantic creature and you want connection so it's like you know she's just sitting there pondering this like how when i know when i know all all there is to know about love how do, then do i go forward yes yeah. and one i just want to throw in an exercise that i did when i realized that my heart was kind of locked up i did this uh -huh. uh, exercise where I pictured, took the stairs from my head to my heart, right? Walked from my mind palace down to my visualization. And when I got down there, it was, um, it was a heart shaped building, but it was like little pieces of wood, like roof shingles were all over it. It was wood, <laughs> right? So first of all, I had to pry those off to get to the opening of the, anyway, long story short, when I opened the door, sand, 
Ooh, came out of my stop heart. Stop it. I went, oh, okay, I have to <laughs> let that sand out and start refilling it with living things and blood. And you know what I'm saying? Just as an yeah. exercise for people listening, that way you don't get bogged down by, I don't have what I want because I, oh, my heart is shut down. I could stay sad about that or I could try to open it back up. And I love that you did it through this visualization and that you got such potent imagery. So look at your next card here. You got the Four of Cups, which is called Luxury in this deck. It's Moon in Capricorn. And this is like there's been a certain amount of emotional stability that's been reached. And we're talking about love and your process around love. So like you, as you're saying, like you were shut down, you're not shut down anymore. Like the cups are golden. The water is, you know, clean. This is how we see the difference between like healthy emotions and unhealthy emotions in this deck is like the state of the water and the state of the cups, but it's choppy at the bottom. So there's a little bit of like, okay, I'm, I got my, I got my grounding. I'm, I'm a little stable. I can see my heart being open. It's open. But here's the thing about this is the choppy water at the bottom. These are going to get, the cups are going to get knocked over. So it's like, this is the information that you're sitting with. It's like, all right, I'm good. I'm open. My heart's going to get hurt again because that's what happens to hearts, right? So what do you do with that knowledge? Because your heart is very important and you don't want it to get all boarded up again. You want to keep it healthy and open. So you got to move slowly so that you can care for it. It's just like, if you see... um, the picture on this card is this beautiful tree and there are these lovely um, big flowers growing and there are these big leaves that grow and curl around the flower to protect the flowers. I think that's great. And I think it's what the last thing you said was really true because I think in one of my last encounters, I kind of fell back into some old patterns. You know, I hadn't dated anyone in a minute and I just was like, ah, and I went back to old patterns that don't serve me, don't work, da, 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 da. I just love your whole jam. I love how you think about things. I love, I just, I love like the way that you do self-care in your own brain. Like I just, I, I like your philosophy of emotions and of self. And it, it has been such a delight to get to have this really cool conversation with you. I appreciate the reading. Just so you know, look what car I'm using a different deck. I'm not even using mine because there was another deck closer to me. But look what came up in this deck too. It's um, what is it's the She Wolf deck, yes. She Wolf deck. I love the She Wolf deck. Oh, it's so gorgeous. Yeah, and we got a couple of the same cards. So you got the Aeon. You pulled that is a deck that also uses the Aeon card instead of the Judgment card. The She-Wolf deck is just one of hundreds of creator-driven tarot decks that have been unleashed upon the world in recent years. In an effort to really explore the extent of the tarot renaissance we're in, our producer, Molly Elizalde, took the train from Brooklyn to Cambridge to visit MIT, where a librarian has gathered over 450 specimens of unique artist-created tarot decks. Let's see what she found. Molly, I met you because I was reading your tarot cards a couple years ago, a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And you didn't have a tarot deck yourself then. No, I'd never had a reading, but I guess I didn't really understand what tarot was. It just seemed like sort of a fun, mystical thing to Mm. do. But when you gave me this first reading, it was just very affirming to everything that was going on in my life. Mm-hmm. And it almost felt like therapy. And I just realized that, you know, you could use tarot as a as a way to know yourself better. If I remember correctly, you were interested in acquiring your own deck. But I think you had caught wind of that myth that you weren't allowed to buy your own tarot deck that had to be gifted to you. Yes, I had 
been dropping hints to my friends like, oh, wouldn't it be fun to do tarot readings, guys? And nobody got the hint. But you gave me your blessing that it was okay to buy your own first deck. And I was on my way to London and you had just been on your UK book tour and you didn't get to go to this witchy bookshop in London called Treadwells. And you sent me there. And there were all these amazing decks and I just felt really overwhelmed and I didn't really know where to start. But I knew the Rider weight, and I was like, that's meaningful to like have a classic thing. So I bought the Rider weight deck. I mean, I think you did the right thing. It is the ultimate beginner deck. I think it's good to familiarize yourself with it. So what did you think of it? What did you think of the Rider weight Smith deck? I don't know if at the time I really understood like the energy that you could have between you and a deck. Hmm. But like I was just so focused on like what is the right meaning of these cards. But then you also told me about this amazing collection at MIT and I just really wanted to know more. I could not believe it when I learned that at MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, right? In their library, they have a special collections department with a very cool librarian, Emily Hardman, who was acquiring a ginormous collection of artist-created independent contemporary tarot decks. So we started out in her office where she happened to have some boxes of tarot that hadn't been archived yet at the library. We're building this as a study collection, really, like something that uh, is used in a reading room and can be protected and we take that really seriously. Thinking about the way tarot is regarded by our culture, you know, how, why are they acquiring tarot decks, which are sort of, you know, predicated on this idea that intuition is real, maybe clairvoyance is real, like stuff science is, has always shook their head at. I mean, Emily really placed it within this sort of world of like math and gaming that is such a part of the culture of MIT. And you know, really is thinking of tarot as a text. Like it's just an unbound book. And I really can't think of any other text that has been so comprehensively, so often redone. Out of all the decks that we looked at in her office, you know, I just had this realization that contemporary living artists were actually reinterpreting this ancient practice. And I thought that was so cool. We're really looking for decks by artists who are taking apart archetypes and offering them up to new ways for their communities and their own practice. So Emily and I kept looking at different decks in her office and we kept pulling the star card. The star? The star. Yeah, maybe the star is like our guiding card for this. Like uh, you guys would just grab a deck randomly to investigate the art and the card that you plucked was the star again and again? Yes, and it was kind of convenient because it allowed us to sort of compare the differences between how these artists were interpreting the star. It's like the tarot could not help but respond to you in the way it is meant to, which is, you know, uncanny and trying to communicate a message, a pictorial message to you. And honestly, the star is so interesting that it's that card because the star is a card about it's a visionary card. In a way, it could encompass tarot as a project because the tarot is such a giant project, 78 cards trying to touch on different aspects of human experience. 
in this really, you know, staying true to these old traditions, but modernizing it. That's the star that's about cosmic inspiration, which the tarot obviously is. So it was talking to you. It totally felt cosmic because it was the first story that we were reporting for this crazy podcast we were starting and we kept we kept pulling the star and it just felt really it just felt really meaningful so out of all of those decks like did you see what did you see that was really surprising and super unique or made you think about tarot differently yeah i mean at the time what i knew about tarot is that you know you buy a deck and you get the cards and a maybe a little booklet that describes some of the meetings But Emily also pulled out some decks that came with hand-knit pouches and crystals and even jelly bellies. Oh my god, I wish all tarot decks came with jelly bellies. (laughs) Did you get to reach out and actually meet any of these genius tarot creators? Yeah, so Emily pulled out a really amazing box set that came with a bound book and a deck by the artist Courtney Alexander. The deck is called Dust to Onyx. Uh, You know, Courtney has articulated... Like this is a this is a deck that anyone should be welcome to use, but like in terms of why she made it, like she made it for black folks to work with, to use, to see themselves in. In the deck, you know, she uses images of pop culture figures like Michelle Obama, Maya Angelou, Grace Jones, and the cards were just so textured. You know, in her original works, she used materials like sand, glitter, spray paint. So Courtney told us a little bit about what inspired her to make this deck. It wasn't necessarily that there weren't decks that had Black people in it. It was just that none of those decks were created by a Black person. There was so much nuance left out of the work of other people because they just did not have that lived experience and the dedication to Black liberation and healing. Courtney even reinterpreted the language of the cards. The suit of cups became the suit of gourds, and she even renamed some of the major arcana. With the hangman card, I changed the name to suspension because obviously like with Black culture and and Black American culture and the history of lynchings, being triggered by that that type of imagery or wording that creates a different response. And even if we try to ignore it and look past it, for some of us, it's really difficult imagery to not see. It's so exciting that people are entitled and empowered to go in and just say, like, we're going to make this for Black folks because, you know, everyone, everyone should have a tarot deck that resonates with their experience. Right. And Courtney explained some of the experiences that people who use her deck have when they do readings. It does have its own energy. And every person that I've talked to extensively have said the messages really dig deep and that there's a visceral response, whether it's through crying. People just have a really deep response to the messages they receive through the cars and to know yourself and to know your people. It's not like a novelty or trivial deck by any means. It's also incredibly healing and affirming and caring as well. Exactly. I mean, the tarot is a tool for healing. It can be incredibly healing. It reflects your own experience back at yourself with with clarity, with art. Um, It allows you to see your own journey as this heroic journey, as this almost cinematic journey that's being reflected in art. It's such a gorgeous experience. And yeah, it should be absolutely tailored as tightly to your unique experience as possible. So, wow, Molly, at the end of this journey, you you must have been a little bit like, 
mind boggled from just having been exposed to so many tarot decks. It's almost like you went overboard trying to solve your problem. <laughs> it's like, how did you how did you then move towards a deck that felt like it spoke to you? I would say I was even more overwhelmed than I was at Treadwell's. Right. Then you told me about an artist named Mary Elizabeth Evans, and I bought her deck called the Apparition Deck. And I had seen her give a reading with this deck on Instagram, and I just really loved sort of like the whimsical illustrations. And for me, it wasn't necessarily about like a lack of representation, but maybe more about giving myself the freedom to interpret the images in a way that I really understood you know, the writer way didn't necessarily speak to me because I was so focused on like, what is the right answer? You were oppressed by the like, by its history, it sounds like. I was, and there's this one card in the apparition deck. And, you know, I got it at the very beginning of the pandemic. And it has this MC Escherish, endless no exit staircase. You know, we were all in, in lockdown and I was here in New York where things were really bad. And so this deck that's just sort of very sweet and whimsical in this moment where you're trying to figure out what to do with yourself and where to put your energy, having a card that felt like it represented me was just so much more meaningful. I love a tarot love story with a happy ending. I'm really glad Molly found a deck she can relate to and bond with and really grow a relationship with. If you are looking to get closer to a new deck or just want to rekindle a lost spark with one of your well-worn favorites, here's a little ritual I do to bond with my cards. I do want to say, first and foremost and all that, the best way to bond with your deck is by using it regularly and studying it. But I like to do this bedtime ritual to get into the realm of the subconscious, the psyche, where so much of our intuition resides. This is a ritual to help you get to know a new deck or just reacquaint yourself with an older one. First, you need the deck you're wanting to bond with. Do this early in the day or even in the morning. Shuffle the cards and ask the deck to give you one card that represents an important aspect of its spirit or its vibe. When you're done shuffling, pick that first card off the top. Study it. Gather items from around your house that resonate with the imagery on that card, like toys, statues, food, candles and crystals, or pieces of fabric that reflect the card's color scheme. That night, arrange an altar by your bed. Put your deck there in the objects you've collected. Meditate on that image before you sleep. Ask the deck to come to you in your dreams and reveal images that deepen your understanding of it. Now go to bed. Most of the time when I do this ritual, I don't even remember what I dreamt. You know how dreams are. But scientists believe we have three to seven dreams a night, so I just trust that my psyche was in active communication with the spirit of my deck. I do always feel closer to my tarot after having done it, and I bet you will too. I think a good tarot deck feels like a friend, and we created a lot of friendships today. We made frenemies with old-school occultist Aleister Crowley. We made new besties with sassy Scorpio Rachel True. We watched sparks fly between Molly Elizalde and her chosen tarot deck. And we forged a path for you to level up your intimacy with your own cards. Relationships are the conduit through which magic really flows, whether it's the connection between a tarot reader and their querent, an elder witch and their newbie student, or between you and your highest, most divine self. 
We hope that all your relationships are friendly, healing, inspiring, and full of magic. Thanks for tuning into Your Magic. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at This Is Your Magic. Subscribe to us here on Spotify. Just do what you gotta do to make sure you never miss an episode. You can email us at hello at thisisyourmagic.com. We'd love to hear from you. This episode was produced and edited by Molly Elizalde, Tony Gannon, Raven Yamamoto, and Vera Blossom. We got production support from Veronica Agard and Christine Marr. Our executive producers are Ben Cooley, myself, and Molly Elizalde. Our original theme music is by John Kimbrough. Special thanks to Erin Kelly. Join us next week for a conversation with Ravina. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>